Guys, it kind of feels like, it smells like, I don't know, it seems like this is a revolution. Call Bevan Morgan a hoe, and you're listening to All Elite Aotearoa, the most elite podcast all about all elite wrestling in all of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Today's episode is a bit of a long one. We're going to deal with some sensitive topics such as alcoholism, depression, and addiction. So, just a bit of a warning if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea today, you might want to skip this one. Thanks, guys. Kia ora everybody, um, it's lovely to have you here uh, for this special, I suppose it's a bit of a special edition of All Elite Aotearoa, we haven't been here for a couple of weeks and I wasn't entirely sure I was going to be able to get this episode um, out, As some of you, anyone that follows me on Twitter would have seen that unfortunately my baby daughter, our one year old Ava, has had to go into hospital this weekend. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. They thought she had a bacterial infection um, and because she had a fever of over 40 degrees and her heartbeat was going at over 200 beats per minute, which is pretty scary and she's pretty non-responsive. So um, she's she's in the hospital, but they, they've done a bunch of tests and they don't think it is um, bacterial, which is weird. They think it has to be something viral that's presenting as bacterial you guys don't need to know all this. This isn't. Um, this isn't your. Uh, <laughs> this isn't. This, this this isn't your business. You know. Sorry to open up up in that way. Why I'm sort of expressing it is just to sort of say it's been a bit of a a tough couple of days. Um, the COVID restrictions here in New Zealand are obviously still very tight at the moment, so only one parent can stay with the child. My wife has chosen to do that, but we're sort of trying to take turns doing things to so she can have a bit of a break um and that kind of stuff but i i'm i thought this would actually be i was like i don't know how i'm gonna get this done but um i have downtime tonight and i thought actually rather than me just sitting here alone this could actually be quite a good opportunity to distract myself but also to talk about some of the this has been a very um, surreal week in AEW with some quite heavy discussions around some quite heavy things. It's been a lot of serious news, I think, and a lot of it's been very eventful. And coming at it from a place of vulnerability, I suppose, I don't think is necessarily that bad. So if you're not interested um, in, I suppose, discussions around alcoholism, mental health, those kinds of things, this new segment might not necessarily be for you, that and that's fine. I don't. It's it's a bit different to what we normally do, and I appreciate that it might be of no interest. Uh, you might find it completely self-indulgent or a bit preposterous. That's fine. I'll put in a um, timestamp in the in the show notes. So if you want to just skip straight to the show where we're talking about, uh, sorry, the section of the show where we talk about um, Rampage and Dynamite over the past week. You are more than welcome to do that. Um, if you are interested in sort of having 
some of these more uh, sort of heavy discussions with me, I'd love for you to sort of stick around. Because um, as I say, I think a, a lot's happened this week. Obviously, the first piece of big news, we're not, I'm not even going to ignore the, I'm just going to ignore the week I was away. We're just going to, there's too much to go back over. Um, luckily, that was a relatively quietish news week, but you know, there's too much to go over in terms of programming and that kind of stuff. Suffice to say, there was some amazing stuff. Um, but, you know, there was enough amazing stuff this week too. But the big piece of news, of course, concerns John Moxley. Everyone knows this news. By now, it's been um, spread far and wide all over the internet. Um, lots of discussions, lots of really, really wonderful support lots of incredible messages um a lot of kindness shown obviously some bad faith trolls using it as opportunity to be dicks um my only problem with them to be honest is i always expect them to be there my i have no real problem with them existing because that's kind of inevitable my problem comes with more the fact that twitter is a is a place where these bad takes and sort of toxic elements get signal boosted in the guise of shaming. And I think that's just completely counterproductive. I don't think when you quote tweet someone with their really terrible troll take as a way to try and pile into them, it's, it's doing that because there seems to be a whole different, um, there's a whole different element in reactionary comedy now where the joke isn't, the joke anymore the the punchline isn't folded into the joke the punchline is actually the reaction to the joke and Corey Johnson does uh, Cody Johnson sorry does a wonderful video about this I'll put it in the show notes as well it's worth it's a it's a quite a long video but it's absolutely worth a dive and I think when we push out those <laughs> those bad takes about Moxie and his family in the guise of criticizing it all we're doing is actually giving them life where letting them breathe and we're fueling them and we're spreading them um whereas they were completely powerless before and they would have been completely neutered had we have just left them alone but um even so that's been frustrating but generally the the um wave of goodwill and love has been the thing that overpowers that more than anything now i had i had kind of mixed emotions on what uh what i wanted to write in responses, I know I could have written nothing, um, but this is a topic that is personal to me. If you are following me on Twitter, you would have um, seen, I, I wrote a sort of brief post about how um, I'm someone that's uh, been in rehab myself, or we call it detox in New Zealand, I tend to call it detox, but um, I went into rehab nearly eight years ago for a variety of um, drug and alcohol related issues, essentially, and um, I've been sober ever since, thankfully. Um, but it is, uh, it, it's it's quite a personal topic to me, um, as 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 you can imagine. I'm also aware of the the cringe nature of when people take something like this that's in the public eye, and then they make it about them. If you did see my tweet and uh, you rolled your eyes, uh, I completely understand. No hard feelings there. I. Um, your cynicism is completely understandable to me and you have no, um, I have no problem with that, I suppose. Because it is, I, I, I've had the same visceral reaction and I still felt it 
when I was typing it myself. But the reason why I wrote that and why I wanted to talk about it a bit further here is because I think these these incidents are kind of a watershed. I think I feel like we're in a watershed moment in time, at least. And and these incidents are being handled in a way that's kind of unique in my lifetime. And I'm hoping is changing things for the better. I mean, we definitely in New Zealand have a, a culture problem when it comes to alcohol. I don't think I speak alone for New Zealand. Though. I've lived in the US as well. I've lived in the UK. Um, I have not lived in Australia, oddly enough, but I have a lot of fa- uh, a lot of family and whanau in Australia, and I've spent a lot of time in Australia, so I'm pretty familiar with the cultures in terms of you know alcohol specifically of those those places, and it's not great. It's it's not a great um, it's not a great culture that we have in terms of dealing with problems and mental health and using alcohol particularly as a crush uh, as a crutch and also you know that's not to mention the the party the party side of it the binge drinking and the um, going out and get getting absolutely wrecked basically giving yourself a concussion as a form of good time. And if you do drink, by the way, sorry, I, you, I can also possibly hear you down the thing going, oh my God, this guy's going to come up and use some AA bull crap or something like that. And he's going to get real preachy. And it's nothing to do with that. Sorry, it's not. I'm, I'm the only one in my family that doesn't drink. Everyone still does. There's no um, there's no preachy stuff coming at me, uh, coming from me at you. I can, I can promise you that. All I, all I would say, though, is that we... I, I think that as a society, we are doing a better job of realizing those issues. And I think that slowly we're doing a better job of um, understanding that people who suffer from addiction, for example, related from that behavior, um, that essentially that they're not failures, that they're not bad people. And that's, that's very new because I grew up at a time where if you were an addict to anything, it was definitely a failure. If John Moxley... Um, well, I mean, if John Moxley was a wrestler in the 90s, there's all possibility that he would be dead by now. Um, that's the sad state of affairs, is he would probably be dead. And there's even a remote possibility that he might have killed his wife and his child if um, other horrible stories from the wrestling world are anything to go by. Um, so... You know, there was always a focus when someone went into rehab or went into a facility or admitted that they had a problem where it was scandalous, like gossip magazines would jump all over that. And you could see why no one really wanted to do it. The message was always that you're you're a failure. That was basically what we as a society um, created. We created an atmosphere for people to understand. And I think I think we're finally moving away from that. And these big shows of, um, I suppose, from someone like Moxley making it public um, demonstrates vulnerability and allows. Well, it's it's really important for a couple of reasons, I suppose. And this is what I this is sort of what I want to talk about was these two points, sort of specifically. And this is just a gut feeling, but I feel like we need to have voices that are brave enough or you know someone like his case brave enough with their public platform to own up and help to destigmatize um getting help for something like addiction and 
showing that actually, you know, you can be high functioning, you can be incredibly successful, you can seem like you have it all and actually, you know, you can still need those crutches and those escapes and it can take control of you. And at your lowest moments, you need help. I think that's really, really important. But I I do, the reason why I talked about it and it's not to equate myself to John Moxley, obviously, as I think that we, we kind of need like a, a broad spectrum approach. Like if you think about it like a painting, you know, the more little brush, you know, paintings are just brush strokes, aren't they? And the more brush strokes we have, the more painting we get. Like someone just telling you by themselves that they've got a problem won't necessarily impact your view of the situation as a as a social whole but if lots of people do then you'll get a clearer picture and i'm again like someone like moxley is not worth one brushstroke he's worth you know he might be worth a quarter of the canvas or you know what i'm trying to say but then if there's people like myself who can talk to i don't know how many people listen to this podcast it might be five it might be 500 but if you know i can talk to you and sort of talk about my experiences and say hey actually, this is what happened. Um, I wouldn't got help. I've been living a much better life now. I'm, you know, it's not easy by any means, but I'm the happiest I've ever been. And you can definitely do that. And there's structures in place. Well, hopefully then that might add to, you might hear another hundred voices over the next couple of years. And it may not matter to you. You might not ever need help, but someone you know might need help or you might need help. And at least if there's, You've had, I don't know, 100, 200 people in your life express that vulnerability and create those brushstrokes. You might actually get a clear picture of what, you know, your outcomes can be and what the whole picture looks like as opposed to traditionally there there were no brushstrokes, were there? There was just this sign saying, failure and hopefully we're painting over that sign this this painting metaphor i should have thought out a bit better it's kind of run away on me a little bit there but i hope that makes sense i hope you understand why i sort of chose to hijack his moment to talk about me like a complete wounder um and a complete egomaniac um i swear it was to just use it as a platform to talk about something um that i think is really important and the second the second point of that is that and this is what something so valuable about someone like moxley this is why i sort of say maybe he could have a quarter of the canvas in your life is that when someone like him comes out and expresses their vulnerability it gives people a chance to demonstrate the attitude shift and and the behavior change so basically moxley came out and shared his news and what we had was we had hundreds of thousands, I don't, I, I don't know, over a million, whatever the, the numbers are, perhaps millions of people all over the world tweeting and Facebooking and emailing or whatever form of communication they were using, their love and admiration and support. And that's really important because you need to support, you need to see, or we, sorry, as a society need to see support for these outcomes we need to see that if someone does need to reach out for help that the default response from a community isn't shame or it isn't judgment it's understanding 
and it's love and it's support. And so I think that that's a really, really great part of this. And I think that may be one of the things that is part of his most valuable legacy in the long run. There's no way to calculate it. But I can imagine, particularly for younger fans who are probably starting to, I don't know, experiment with alcohol and drugs and that kind of thing. And they're sort of at that point in their life where it's not an issue, but in this sphere of people, it will become an issue for some and it might become an issue for them. Um, When later on down the line it becomes a problem, they will have that sort of early experience of seeing um, people in high positions in very public spaces, the, the, the position where you would be easiest to taken down 20 years ago, uh, get responded to with love and care. Um, and also for just on another side note, for, for Moxie, I think it's really wonderful that that response happened um, for his healing alone. I don't, I, I know I've gone on way too long on this topic already. This is going to be a long episode, obviously. I'm sorry, guys. But when you're in detox or rehab, whatever you want to call it, we always, as a culture, again, sort of have a vision of drug addiction as being, um, or alcoholism as being purely sort of physical. So there's there's a great focus on the withdrawal symptoms of um, coming off whatever is your chosen drug. And, and don't get me wrong, the withdrawals aren't pleasant, but they're definitely doable. I, I read a book one time where they basically described how minor, I suppose, the withdrawal symptoms are in terms of uh, comparison to the mental, the mental challenge. And essentially they were like, well, you've had a flu before, right? Or like a really bad virus. You know what it's like to, you know, have a fever, you know, have a really bad migraine, possibly vomiting, um, you know, swollen glands, all those kinds of things, fatigue, achy joints. So you've gone through that plenty of times. If, if you know, if you are a addicted to synthetics or to alcohol or to um, painkillers or whatever, and someone said, hey, would you, you know, if I gave you one of those viral infections for five days and then you came out the other side and you no longer craved, you know, your drug, would you take it? And not one of us would go, no. Of course we would. We'd be like, yeah, I can handle having a cough. I've done it a million times. And that's that's the thing. is it's, That's really what <laughs> withdrawal symptoms are, essentially. This is like having, and it's worst case scenario, it's like having a really bad virus that you get over in sort of five days. Um, and I'm speaking very generally here, obviously. There's, there's, there's alcoholics that take, you know, sort of a couple of 40 ounces a day. And if you, if you stop them cold turkey, they will die. I'm not trying to minimize that. But what I'm saying just generally is that the physical things, we put ourselves through a lot of physical pain all the time anyway, just as humans. It's just part of getting sick and getting well and building immunity and all those kinds of things. Um, what, what's more interesting is you can, you can tackle that with medication. For example, like they gave me uh, some, some drugs called quetiapin and another one called clonidine to help sort of settle my heart rate and, um, sort of take the edge off with the anxiety and that kind of thing. So that the, the first couple of days where I was in withdrawals, they were very well managed and they, you know, check your vitals and all those kinds of things. They just keep an eye on you. And that was actually sort of the easiest part. 
what happens afterwards is, is really tough because when you have any sort of addiction and John Moxley's about to, I'm sure he's, he's probably tried and um, to quit and he's, he's gone through this already, but it's, it's going to hit him really hard really soon, unfortunately, because this is probably the most important part of healing is that he's now going to have to, he's now going to be without his crutch and he's going to be without his, um, his support system that he's obviously been coping on for a while. And what happens is when you're an addict is essentially, you know, you're an addict and you have very bad thoughts about it. You have a lot of guilt for the people you're hurting, for the things you're doing, for the lies you're telling, for all those different things. But what gets you through is your addiction. They sort of say that, you know, people with addictions don't have willpower. And no, that's not true. It takes a lot of power, <laughs> a lot of willpower to be an addict, believe me. Um, you have to you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot to keep a drug addiction going. It, you have to work very hard at it. Um, and essentially what's going to happen is that he is going to be clear of his toxins I suppose for want of a better word it's a buzzword amongst charlatans so I don't particularly like it but he's gonna he's gonna have the the drugs removed from his body he's gonna be sort of clear for a couple of days the nerve endings are gonna sort of start firing back the ones that were dull and he's not gonna be able to get away from actually dealing with those negative thoughts he's not gonna be able to have a drink to push them down and then have another drink to push down the guilt about having a drink to push it down and he's gonna unfortunately be faced with all those emotions and they're gonna come back with interest and he's just had a baby girl and I can tell you as a father of a who <laughs> who had a baby last year and he's currently in the hospital that exposes a whole another set of nerve endings that you didn't hear and I know that sounds really wanky and painful to listen to as well someone going oh my god now he's talking about his kid and how you don't understand if you don't have kids it's not it's not that it's just that it's it is emotional like today when I saw my baby with a breathing tube in her nose I just burst into tears I've seen a, I've seen thousands of kids with breathing tubes in their nose uh, feeding tubes in their nose before it's not that big a deal but I'm a complete and utter wuss now like it's just things hit differently than they once did and that will be the same for him and he's going to have this clarity this moment where all these nerve endings are fired up and all these memories and all these things are going to come flooding back to him and he's going to have to actually confront them and that's sort of the most valuable part of detox is being in a place where you can do that um, safely but it's hard work it's tiring and it's mentally crushing and it's heavy heavy stuff so what I was trying to say before I went way too into detail there was that him having those messages of love and support are a beautiful thing they will really really um, buoy him and give him strength when he gets the chance to engage with them I suppose I mean it's one of those things where most normal people wouldn't get the the um, amount of love and respect and admiration that he's getting but he's also making a bigger sacrifice as I said before he's really putting himself out there in a way that the rest of us don't have to so it's only fair as far as I'm concerned 
that he gets that extra support from the community. And that's something that I'm so proud of, you know. Things have changed so much in my life, and they've changed across the board, but they've definitely changed in wrestling, um, where that toxic masculinity crap is just dying. And I mean, UFC could have it, as far as I'm concerned. That's their wheelhouse now. They can deal with the problems from that. I'm proud that to be part of a fandom that everyone talks about as being so toxic and so nasty and so negative, yet when one of their biggest stars is at his most vulnerable moment, everyone, bar a few trolls, comes together and shows him the love and support he needs and sets an example that, hey, if you're in our community and you are going through this as well, you will not be shamed, you will be supported. Um, I think that's wonderful stuff. I think it really, really is. So that's the Moxley news. I didn't anticipate talking as long as I have on it. I might edit that out a bit, but I also, I'm kind of proud of some of the stuff we just covered. And I think it's, I say, I think it's important. And as I promised you, if if you're bored to tears by this crap and you think all I'm doing is pointing out the obvious, um, I will absolutely make it so that you can skip to the wrestling stuff because ultimately this is supposed to be a wrestling podcast not Bevan opens up his heart and has a therapy session with the incredibly patient listeners of his podcast apparently okay moving along that was the first piece of big news and then we sort of did a, a real 180 I suppose on if you're not on Twitter this this none of this will mean anything to you and I've had to, I had to mute it pretty quickly because I think this got very out of hand we had this very strange situation where um Kalisto was wrestling on Dynamite obviously he had a match that I thought was great for a lot of people were like this was crap or you know it was it was too inconsistent he almost killed himself and you know the the joke going around of course is yeah but almost killing himself is one of his signature moves but regardless of the match we'll get to that later um he made a tweet after the match where he basically said, look, I prayed to um, John, you know, brackets Brody Lee. I can't remember. I'm sure you've seen this if you are on Twitter and if you're not. The, the, the basic gist is he said he prayed to Brody Lee, but referred to him by John um, for comfort and, you know, thank you for showing me your house, et cetera, et cetera. People just thought it was really nice. Chris Jericho then quote tweeted it just with the sort of snarky statement, you spelled his name wrong because um, he'd spout John with an H. And then that just kicked off with people just like, what is your problem, you racist old, you know, a lot of expletive words. I mean, Chris Jericho's wife is quite famously a um, a rabid trumper, um, so not the greatest um, look, I suppose, from that perspective, that these essentially looks like he's bullying a um, a Mexican performer, you know, a performer of Mexican heritage for making a typo in English. Um, so it was pretty ugly. And then someone decided to pull Amanda Huber into it, John's wife, and she said something like, I... I sort of agree like I can't remember the exact quotes but like I, I don't think this is wrong at all like it, it would be respectful if you're going to name drop to spell his name correctly and then that meant that now the pylon started on her as well and holy moly did they 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 went after this woman um and yeah really just 
it was pretty ugly. Um, and the thing about it is, is you didn't need the strongest reading comprehension, I suppose, that once she was involved to realize, oh, okay, there, there might be a story here in terms of maybe they had past beef or maybe, you know, maybe they didn't actually know each other. And their point is that Callisto is using his memory to try and garner some cheap likes when he didn't actually even know the guy and they find that tacky and exploitative. I don't know. I have no idea. As I say, I had to mute this because this was, I found this really kind of horrifying. I, I, I don't care about Jericho. I honestly, like Jericho's 50-year-old man who's been in the business for 60% of his life and has provoked countless people into dragging his name through the mud and drag, him dragging their names. It doesn't, he does, he's, this is his job. I don't, who cares about Jericho? He's fine. He, he won't, he would have slept like a baby that night you know what I mean he would have slept like an absolute baby and his crazy maga wife would have probably been extra proud of him because even if he didn't mean to you know target a Mexican wrestler she was probably really happy that he did um but I I had a real problem with the people laying into Amanda Huber and telling her wow (laughs) I suppose how she should mourn and you know what she what the tone of respect people need to her husband and how he would feel and that kind of thing that's where it got very 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 painful to watch so I don't actually know how that all panned out because it was a real dumpster fire even by um Twitter standards and you know it's it's this is what I'm saying this this week was whiplash because we've just gone through this you know beautifully supportive moment hours before where there's just this wave of love and support amongst the community and now the community is just choosing to eat this woman alive and there's no I don't know it was it was bizarre um I don't know if this undermines all the nice points I made about the community in these in in the previous discussion maybe it does I I really don't know how to feel about this so I muted it because I found it very uncomfortable and I was trying to deal with my own stuff and my own family without necessarily needing to um, watch people crucify this woman for um, and tell her how her husband, her recently deceased husband, would feel about her actions. Very horrible time. Um, I don't know how what the fallout from that has been, what it's going to be, because of course she's just started working with AEW and community outreach. I don't, yeah, watch this space, I think. But also maybe don't watch this space because while Jericho was creating a hornet's nest online of just absolute toxicity and negativity and was just this lightning rod for people to be angry at, WWE thought he was having it too easy or something. Um... I, it was very weird. It was like, oh, it looks like Jericho's grabbing all that heat. Well, we want the heat back on us. Let's fire eighteen people. And of course, this isn't a. Um, this isn't. I've said to it before. I, I am all about having fun at WWE's expense. It's me personally, like I will take pot shots. I will try get tribal. Um, I'll, I today I got. I was really embarrassed. I got into some quite aggressive arguments with someone. I actually apologized to the blader because I felt so stupid. It was just kind of stress and that kind of thing um so i don't want to come across as a hypocrite like you know we 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 
we're not going to take pot shots at WWE or that I don't because I absolutely do. But I, I do try and keep the podcast much more subtle and much more. This isn't supposed to be an anti-WWE podcast. So I'm, I'm not going to speak much about um, the releases in terms of how disgusting I feel they are. That's I don't think that's a controversial take. I don't think um, you have to be very loyalist to not be upset about um, the just ongoing bloodletting. But I, I think the thing that is relative, of course, sorry, relative, relevant to AEW, it becomes that question of the fantasy booking. Um, and a lot of these guys, because I don't watch WWE, I don't really know much about them. That's the truth. And I didn't catch them on their sort of indie stuff before they got to WWE either, with, a, with one big notable exception being Keith Lee. Um, I, the AEW roster is too stacked at the moment. They're almost... You know, they're getting to that point where almost they are an earlier WWE problem where they've just got too much talent. The difference is, of course, is that I think AEW does a spectacular job. We're starting to see, or at least a very good job, of rotating talent in and out. And that's that's good. I think that'll be kind of the key. As long as they can keep the talent motivated um, and interested in that philosophy and they're kind of upfront with them about rotating them in and out, that's that's good. That gives them an off-season as well. There's a lot of value to that philosophy. Um, so I don't want them, I, I wouldn't necessarily see, want to see them wholesale picking people up, um, particularly, you know, there are still a lot of independent promotions and that kind of thing, and you can make a really good living on, off the indies. Um, it's a real shame that Ring of Honor's closed, obviously. That's a real kick in the guts. But for, as an AEW fan purely, just my AEW fan hat on, I would love to see Keith Lee um, in... AEW that's just a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned his I saw a match a few years ago that he and Matt Riddle had um I can't remember which PWG it was event it was if you've seen it you know what I'm talking about it's one of the best matches I've ever seen this guy is a genius um he really does live up to the hype and it's just I saw clips online of what they were doing to him as Bearcat and it's just it was so depressing to to watch the way that they neutered him um, so I think this is the best possible outcome for him, and hopefully he's he's all elite in ninety days. I don't I don't care about Wyndham Rotunda. No interest in seeing Bray Wyatt whatsoever. Does nothing for me. I know that's an earlier release. Definitely do not want um, Braun Strowman. Couldn't couldn't care less about those guys. But I think that this would be a, a wonderful wonderful acquisition, and also um, just based off. You know, there's obviously a lot of female wrestlers there that were released that uh, would potentially be pretty valuable too. But I'm not that familiar with them. The one that, the one that I see getting dropped about that, and I, I would like to see who get signed, even though I'm not familiar with their work particularly. But based off um, people whose opinions I really respect on women's wrestling, who who say she's an absolute must sign would be Ember Moon. Um, I've got to do more work in checking out her wrestling, but based off again like people who who I interact with and people who I read about and stuff like that whose opinions um I absolutely respect I I hope they you know give her a chance as well because by the sounds of things she's an absolute um superstar oh god that's WWE terminology isn't it she's she's a absolute champion of the future so hopefully 
you know, as sad as, as these releases are um, in the short term, hopefully for the talent, I do think for the talent in the long term, it'll be better. I mean, it sucks to lose guaranteed money, but my God, they have all been released from prison as far as I'm concerned. Um, and the internet, I mean, the internet, the professional wrestling scene is so splintered I suppose these days there are so many opportunities to work and even you know if you get a contract with AEW you don't have to just work with AEW you can work for other places as well like GCW and that kind of thing um you know there's opportunities there so I'm not hopefully they'll be okay I don't want to say like I'm some business analyst who knows their you know their insights and is down with the exact economics of the American wrestling market but you know hopefully they're okay and hopefully AEW can snap up a couple of absolute gets out of that. Um, what an absolute basket case WWE is. <laughs> so I know it's not an anti, anti-fed podcast, but come on. What a joke. What an absolute joke. That's that's the last thing I'll say about it on here. If you want my hot takes um, on the fed, you can see me online staring stirring the pot a bit anyway i think that's it for the news again thank you for letting me indulge a bit of vulnerability and emotional stuff there particularly around the um the moxley stuff and the mental health stuff it's it's also i suppose particularly relevant to me as well because i'm currently i said last week i wasn't doing the podcast because i was pitching um another couple and one of them is based around um mental health and and parenthood for the local radio station here in um kirikiriroa so um, it's also very front of mind for me at the moment. And I really appreciate you. If you're still listening, <laughs> it's a big assumption, but if you're still listening, I appreciate you having indulged me the time to talk about something that's quite close to my heart. Okay. Thanks. Let's go and talk about the shows. Eh? My God, this got self-important very quick, didn't it? So Dynamite this week comes to us from Independence, Missouri, which is a real place. Apparently, I've never actually been to Missouri, so I have no idea what it's like. It's a interesting name for a town, I suppose, but um, got a pretty good crowd here tonight in Independence for a show that was not bad. Um, again, just sort of uh, definitely not as good as the show they had last week. I thought last week's show was excellent. This was a bit rougher, I thought. Um, not as bad as it was sort of a fortnight ago where I was like, oh, this is a this is a really sort of poor episode. But it certainly had um, a couple of issues, I think, around, again, sort of timing and that kind of thing. But on the whole, it was, it was pretty solid. Um, I actually think that the Rampage show, the, one of the things is that this kind of suffers in hindsight because I think the Rampage show was really, really good um, that we'll talk about shortly. The Rampage show actually... Um, in retrospect, made Dynamite look a bit sloppy, which doesn't happen very often. But anyway, this show starts with Alan Angels versus Kenny Omega. And by all um, my understanding of this is this is essentially a match purely to troll one wrestling reporter, um, Ryan Satin, who apparently had a real problem with Alan Angels and Kenny Omega's last match because Alan Angels got in a lot of offense and he thought that basically Kenny was slumming it and gave away too much and that it had ruined 
Kenny's career. Uh, so slight overreaction, I think. Um, and it's sort of one of those things with with AEW that we've learned hopefully to accept, although some people still have a real issue with this, is the, the idea of this long-term storytelling. Um, at that point, Kenny Omega was not in a particularly good place. Um, and we kind of know how that all panned out. But the match itself, uh, there's a couple of things that were... I mean, it was it was a pretty short match, and it went pretty much exactly as you would expect and as it should have. Just a couple of notes. I I didn't I did really like the way that Alan Angels sort of gave it the hot start. I I really enjoyed um, his posture. I suppose it's just a small detail that adds to that that ring psychology when he is standing there in the ring and he's like holding himself back on the ropes and then he just flies at Kenny. Um, as soon as the bell rings, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I do like a really intense start to something, to a match when it's when it's supposed to be, and I suppose that ties into the story that yeah, I almost beat you, and if I come out of the gates now and you've underestimated me again, um, I I might actually finish the job this time. It didn't go that way. Um, he got a good flurry of offense, and at one point there was a um, what did he do? He did a tope suicida, followed by a moonsault, followed by a diving cross body, uh, only got the two count and then basically Kenny took over and he did kick out of a nasty looking V trigger which was a pretty awesome moment Um, but then Kenny just basically lined him up and delivered two more that were even more brutal and he got the pin which was yeah to be expected good match Um, I think Angels really held his own Kenny gave him a little bit um, to make him look pretty good but ultimately uh, the result was pretty predictable and um it was a pretty good showcase for both men i think but the main the main part of it of course was the adding to the story of kenny and hangman so what happens is kenny starts beating up angels he makes a reference to that uh that reporter that i mentioned by sort of beating on him and saying you ruined my life or you ruined my career or something like that which was pretty funny um that's that's very it's very, uh, that, that would upset some people, I can imagine. The people that think that AEW caters too much to the internet fan, I know they would have not been happy about that, but I really, I don't think it matters because if you didn't get the joke, it doesn't, like, Kenny's a maniac at the moment, so he says all kinds of crazy things and does all kinds of crazy things. It just ties into this idea of him being unhinged as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I don't think there's anything. I think it's just a nice little Easter egg for those that are interested um so yeah he got he's beating them up and then of course we get the run-in from hangman which is really cool because it you know it's there's a couple of again it's these subtle things that they just keep doing just so well and they're sort of blinking you miss it moments he um goes for the the buckshot lariat and again kenny just misses it and they have built this move up as a kenny killer for so long now i mean you know the Going back to Revolution 2020, when it was teased whether or not Hangman, you know, was going to do it. Since then, that has just been this echoing image that has gone through, and they've really built it up that this is something that Kenny's scared of, and you know, doesn't want to get hit by. And so you can sort of imagine that hopefully, this will be the you know the move that ends the match on Saturday our time, um, or Sunday our time. Sorry, I think it's Saturday US time. So, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting a bit carried away, but yeah, so he, uh, uh, Kenny snakes out of the ring, as you do, and he's looking terrified. He's up on the up on the, the ramp, and Hangman basically just tells him, hey, you've got 10 days, and that's the end of the segment. It's really brief. It's very intense, 
Um, but a very cool. Ed- I was pumped. You know, that was the, the first fifteen minutes of the show were the best. I thought I was. I was absolutely. I was rearing to go. Um, I've, I've been critical of the way that they've sort of. I've sort of felt that they've not dropped the ball, but they're cert- certainly like close to a knock on. Um, and this, since basically Hangman came back, in the sense that they haven't done as much around this um, building this final part of the feud as I thought they would. But, um, you know, I've been interacting with people online about this and people have brought up some really good points, um, particularly around sort of, uh, I mean, A, there's still time. It's probably this week that they'll do the sort of final shot. But the focus has been um, more, rather than those two antagonizing each other, it's been more focusing on their respective groups and their respective friendships and seeing um, Kenny's kind of subtly, not crumbling, but him him being pushed to the periphery, I suppose, with the addition of Adam Cole and Hangman just having the time of his life with his friends. So um, they've done a good job in that regard. So, you know, uh, happy to concede that, you know what, I might be wrong and I might be just sort of pushing for some sort of sort of standard I don't know almost WWES WCWESque sort of traditional build and actually they're going for something a bit more and um that would detract away from those elements of the story that have been hugely important to the overall arc so I don't know it's um there were really interesting points I still I still kind of my gut feel is I would have liked to have seen a bit more but I I really respect some of the sort of the pushback I got um, online about that. I think people made some really good points, which is cool. Um, and again, we still have this week to go, and you know that there's going to surely be something something happen this week in the, in the build-up too. I, I have to assume that Kenny's going to get a beatdown or something on Hangman. Hangman has to be I'll, be... I'll be nervous if Hangman comes out on top on Wednesday, That's or um, Thursday, our time, anyway. Um so yeah, that's that's the first segment of the show. I thought this was great. I loved it. Um, I thought it was very tight, told a lot of different things, um, and ended on a real cliffhanger that left me going, yeah, man, bring on full gear. This is going to be awesome. So yeah, cool stuff. And we slide, I mean, they have a bit of a break there, obviously, and we in New Zealand, if you're watching on Fight TV, get the instrumental version of the Dynamite song for three or four minutes on loop, which um, I'm sure if you're like me, you just sort of end up ear drumming too or um putting on mute i don't often put it on mute because i'm scared that i'm going to actually um get distracted on my phone or something and not realize that dynamite's come back on <laughs> so instead i just have that that song on on uh repeat every once a week anyway this is not relevant to the show um following this we have cm punk um come out to do a promo addressing eddie kingston and this is kind of a this is kind of a wholesome this this was I think pretty much universally loved online. There's no there's a couple of reasons for it. Basically, Punk comes out and you know speaks about Moxley and how much he respects him. And if people are struggling with anything like that, that they should reach out for help. It's just basically a call for awareness and um, destigmatizing mental health and addiction, which is really cool. As we sort of talked up the top, these are the kind of things that I think are are quite important and. Uh, as a wrestling fan though conversely one of the things i find refreshing about it is it's just it's a it's a nice way of folding in the the real life and acknowledging it not treating us like idiots it's one of those things you know people always accuse AEW 
of, um, I suppose, being carny in the way that they take shots at WWE and that kind of things or reference WWE or reference other companies. And I don't think that's carny at all. I think it's it's that case of it's I don't like having my intelligence insulted. Like those things exist. This exists in a real world. You know, you can mention those things without it being diminishing the quality of your product. If anything, it enhances it, I think. So I think this was a really nice nod to be able to um, to show the support of the fan base and to just use his platform to be able to, you know, just just give a message and model, I suppose. It's modeling of a modeling of a I saw I think it was Sidgwick said like I really like CM Punk's uh, masculinity over Chris Jericho's and yeah that's exactly it it's modeling a more wholesome and modern form of masculinity a guy that's comfortable in it without having to resort to insecure misogyny and all that crap so I thought this was really cool I really appreciated it as you can imagine from my um, two-hour sermon at the top of the show about these these issues and he, he segued it pretty nicely into a discussion around Eddie Kingston and I mean we don't need to talk about this too much because we'll talk about this when it gets to Rampage because this is when things really kick off but um a really nice package from CM Punk it, you wouldn't expect any less and of course it it's the sort of palate cleanser or the amuse-bouche for what will come in a couple of days and that is really outstanding so after this we get um we get a brawl, so not too surprising. It's dynamite. You've got to have a, a bit of a backstage brawl somewhere, I suppose. At least in this case, I think there's only the one in the show, so that's good. And in their defense, they do a pretty cool job with this backstage brawl. One of the one of the criticisms, again, that I think gets leveled at AEW is that the elite put themselves over too much, blah, 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 whatever. Don't really need to go into that too deeply. But there is always a fine balance, I think, between creating heat by having the um the heels do you know dastardly things and cowardly things and and the payoff and one of the things when I used to watch WCW and one of the things that sort of put me off towards um not even the later 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 run of it but sort of like around the 1999 stuff was it was they really struggled to find that balance between the heels getting heat and some sort of payoff or some sort of hope and I, I have to admit, I was kind of getting a little bit like frustrated that, okay, I don't really need to see Jurassic Express and, you know, Cage, etc. getting beaten up every week until the pay-per-view. That's probably a bit too much. So I actually think that this was a real nice turn of events. I, I think, you know, the return of Cage and them actually getting the beatdown on the Elite was a really cool shift, um, particularly ending, of course, with uh, Cage doing his concerto. You know, that's a really nice old throwback, and they got a huge pop from the crowd. So I was surprised by this, and, and surprised in a good way. I didn't... Um, I've, I think I've made my feelings quite clear about the amount of backstage brawls that are going on on Dynamite. There's just too many, and then they just look crap a lot of the time thought this one was very cool and it was a nice receipt for of course when they threw um jungle boy through the table was that last week time is just time is just a blur at the moment so um yeah it was for a backstage brawl i was actually i was actually pretty happy with that um i I was really surprised that they they sort of balanced the ledger a little bit and it sort of 
took I, I suppose it took a bit of the tension and a bit of the you know there's still the heat you still want to see these guys beat the crap out of them at um full gear but it it, it didn't I don't know I just think it's I just think it feels a little bit more balanced now I still think that you know hopefully if, if I was booking this he says I would probably have something where the the super click get the one up you know the upper hand going into the card this week and and the baby faces win at the show uh that's probably the way i'll do it i don't know if that's the way they're gonna go obviously but i i think that would be a pretty good thing where ultimately the the heels have had the upper hand most of the time but the baby faces take it out anyway this isn't a this isn't a fantasy booking show that was it was supposed to be just a sort of a bit of a recap and i've rambled on so that was that segment we then get uh, we then get Samurai Del Sol, which is Kalisto and Aerostar versus FTR, and this was pretty cool in the sense that it builds from a video package that was on Dark, where FTR are at Dax's house and they're outside having a coffee. Looks like a beautiful place he lives, um, somewhere in the Smoky Mountains, I think. And he wraps, you know, basically does a this this really great promo where he's talking about we you know we are the best we're the best luchadors um we are going to have an open challenge and you can bring any two luchadors except for um the lucha brothers and we will beat them essentially and so this is how this one comes about now of course samurai del sol is formerly known as Callisto in wwe and as i mentioned up top there's a whole fight that's going to come after this match but we don't need to worry about that we've already recapped that the match itself uh, is sloppy, but fun. I mean, I I love lucha wrestling. Lucha might be my favorite of all, and one of the things I like. I mean, the, okay, so I like I like lots of different types of wrestling. That's and that's one of the things I like about AEW is I like lucha. I love strong style. I love I do love the sort of traditional sort of southern style. Um, I like really realistic slow stuff i don't mind the, the traditional wwe stuff sometimes the main thing is I, I do like a variety out of all of those though i probably do like lucha the best but i also appreciate that lucha is probably the least realistic of all of them i don't mind that i don't mind having matches that are basically ballet or interpretive dance and just spot after spot after spot as long as it's not all that and one of the things I think that people didn't like about this match from what I was seeing is that, yeah, it was a bit sloppy. And um, Kalisto nearly killed himself on multiple, sorry, um, Samurai Del Sol nearly killed himself on multiple occasions. But, I mean, that's kind of goes with the territory of lucha wrestling as far as I'm concerned. So I sure as hell didn't mind it. Um, it yeah, it could have been better. FTR are, you know, they're assholes. I, I think they can, they... I don't think there's any real separation between their gimmick and who they are <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, I'm exaggerating slightly, but I, I do kind of think that they are like that. But to their credit, they could pull a good match out of anyone, as far as I as far as I can tell. And they did a pretty good job of pulling, getting this match back on the ropes, and ultimately getting the win as they should have. I, I don't have too much to say about this, other than it was cool to see some proper ass lucha libre on dynamite that wasn't just you know the lucha brothers having to to carry that flag by themselves i'd like to see a bit more frankly um but that's a discussion for another time 
Now, following this, we get easily the lowest moment of the show, um, as it always is. And, I mean, this may have been one of the worst that they've done. This is the Inner Circle doing some crap with American Top Team. And just, I mean, I just, like, I know, it's, again, I'm aware I sound like a broken record. I'm, I apologize for this, but I hated every part of this. The, the only part I didn't mind was I appreciate that when um, Jericho was trying to slut shame Paige Van Zandt, uh, talking about OnlyFans or something, she just did the, the you know, the money, the taxes, like, you know, the 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 money fingers, you know, where she's like, yeah, I want that money. I'm like, hell yeah, that's good stuff. Because this is just, oh my God, I just just need this to be over. This is just, I everything sucks in this. The, the edgy promos are lame. Um, I don't know why Lambert is now suddenly selling the crowd, like he's this whole time been this just absolute menace. The the only slightly redeeming feature about him is he's been this completely um, egomaniacal dick that doesn't care what the fans chant and doesn't really let them get under his skin and just abuses them. And now suddenly he's upset when they call him a fat face. Um, so that was kind of lame. You could see where they were going from the very first second that they were going to pick Lambert. Um, to be one of the three fighters. Um, I can't possibly see how that's something that could sell tickets uh, or get people excited. I I just don't even know what to say really. Like I don't want to see Dan Lambert wrestle. I don't care. I don't I don't even want to see him get his I don't want to see him get his comeuppance. I just don't want American top team on the TV. Someone pointed out to me that that's there's going to be more American top team wrestlers on this card than AEW women's wrestlers. And that's mind-boggling. That's insane. Why is that spot being taken for those guys? I just... Just trying to appeal to an MMA crowd is so baffling to me. Why would... It's, it's, it's an audience that's silly to go after, I think. MMA is real fighting. They... MMA is, you know, sort of tough jockey sports culture. You know, it's where the actual psychopaths go to 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 fight because they actually fight and can almost kill a man. You know, it's it's. I know we don't people don't like to admit it, but wrestling is nerd culture. It's theater. It's it's you know it's choreographed. It's storytelling. It's a soap opera on steroids both literally and figuratively. And I don't understand why you think that you're going to get a massive amount of buy-in from MMA fans who are going to be like, well, this is silly. Like, this this is ultimately, yeah, wow, they can do these moves and stuff like that. And Sammy Guevara is pretty impressive. But... Um, we just saw a fight on the weekend where a guy got kicked in the face and it turned his face into Moe from the Simpsons. You know, we don't really need to, we don't really need to watch this fake stuff. I don't know. I'm going off on a real tear here. It's just cause I just can't stand this. Um, I hate that the TNT title is not being defended on this card. And this is where Sammy Guevara is slumming it in this crap. Um, everyone is better than this. Uh, I don't, how has Scorpio Sky been elevated by this? I don't know. He wasn't even really featured in that segment. How has Ethan Page been elevated by this? I don't know. He wasn't really featured in this segment. 
um, for the love of God, I hope this is the end of it this this weekend because this is this makes me like want to go back and retroactively undo what I said the other the, the other week where I said I hoped that I, I wish that the inner circle were doing more stuff together. I want them to be broken up now because I don't want to see this. If if I had known that by wanting the inner circle to be together, this is what we'd get. I would have <laughs> would have definitely been cheering for the pinnacle at double or nothing. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough negativity. We can move on to the Anna J versus Jamie Hater match. Now, this was a this was this was cool because I was really really surprised with how they went with this. To be to be frank with you, and I don't know if I should have been when when you sort of look at it in hindsight. But they've been building up Anna J a lot. I think Anna J, as I've mentioned in the past, is I think she's really improved as a wrestler. I think she's... I'm still not sold on the Queenslayer as a finishing move in sort of 2021, but whatever, that that can change in the future. And ultimately, she's been working really well on the ring. Um, I thought that she would have gone over Jamie Hayter here. I thought that, you know, Jamie Hayter hasn't had that much, I suppose, exposure on the television product other than being sort of a stooge for Bit Breaker. Uh, Bit Breaker? Brit... Baker, oh my god, I've got her and Bron Baker, oh my god, Bron Breaker, Britt Baker, whew, shivers, I've only just noticed that right now, um, so, you know, other than being a stooge for her, she hasn't really done a huge amount, but, 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 she is a very experienced wrestler, she's been wrestling for years and hold, held multiple championships across multiple promotions, so it actually makes sense that she is sort of the favourite to win this match over Anna Jay, and also, it makes sense in the sense that now when you move on to the second round, you have that uh, baby face and heel dynamic going on instead of it being uh, a baby face versus baby face, which makes far more sense in terms of your storytelling and setting up an intriguing next round in the TBS title tournament. So I feel a little bit bad for Anna Jay in the sense that, you know, I she's had a, she's improved so much, but she's not going over very often. But again, it comes down to that sort of thing that we talked about with Powerhouse Hobbs as well. She's still incredibly young. And she is, I suppose, you would probably be able to make the case that she's going to be one of the female pillars of this company. I know they talk about the four pillars and they've focused on these four men. But I think you could start looking at female pillars as well. And I have no doubt that Anna Jay will be a big, big deal in the future for AEW. So I think she'll be fine out of this. Um, and it, I think it's, you know, she's still tied to Tay Conti, who ultimately is going for the title at full gear this weekend. So she's still in the upper card, even by proxy. So, yeah, very, I, I the match was fine. Um, there wasn't actually too much to write home about this match, I think. But I think they did a really good job in, in subverting expectations and making it... It wasn't a swerve for swerve's sake. It was a swerve that made complete and utter sense. And... Uh, you know, elevates the story in the next round of this TBS title tournament, which I think is just going so... I think it's outstanding. I think it's been such a good tournament so far. Um, I'm really, really intrigued to see who actually wins this thing in the next round of matches. I think there's incredible dynamics um, and some real just who-knows matches coming up. It's, it's really exciting stuff. It's a shame that they couldn't tee it up so that, you know, in terms of timing, so that the final was at full gear, like this is, I would rather see a TBS 
to, uh, title final at full gear than American top team. You know, I don't think Dan Lambert needs that spot that, you know, Ruby Soho could be taking. But um, regardless, that's I don't need to go back into that rant. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely... Definitely going to be intriguing. I at least hope that they do the final, they can tear it up with a special dynamite because it seems like they've done such a good job in building this up. It does seem like it would be a real waste to have the final on a regular dynamite interrupted by ads and that kind of thing. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. We're, we're talking about stuff that we don't actually know what's going to happen yet. We then have a another outstanding segment between uh, MJF and Darby Allen. These guys have been really, I think, just hitting it out of the the park for the past month. Um, this is this is one of the matches I'm most excited for at Full Gear. I genuinely don't know which way it's going to go, and I think this this may have had the best build. I mean, aside from sort of you know Kenny and Hangman, I think this has had the best build of the lot of them. Um, some yeah, I mean MJF gets on the the microphone, talks about how they're they're both pillars, but really those are the two of the four pillars that are even more pillory, <laughs> you know, that they're, they're another level above Guevara and Jungle Boy. And I don't think he's wrong. Um, they've, they've been at the very top of the card and they've held their own and done some extraordinary stuff. Uh, you know, you think back to MJF's program with Cody that really sort of uh, slingshotted him into the to top of the card. That was some of the best stuff I've seen the whole time I've been watching AEW. And likewise, MJF, uh, sorry, Darby Allen stuff with Cody, we're noticing a theme here, was outstanding, having this sort of coming so close, but ultimately missing out program for so long and then winning the TNT title off. And when he finally beats him, you know, he's had some outstanding, outstanding programs, more so than more so than the other two, honestly. And so, yeah, I, I love that he acknowledged this and built up on it. I think they had a really cool fighting the crowd. I yeah, this is all wonderful stuff. It's just a continuation of a really strong program and I cannot wait to see. I I I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I cuz always assume MJF's going to win. But I don't know this time. I, I still I mean that's still how I think they'd go. If I was booking again, I probably would lean into that with a you know, not necessarily a, a clean finish, but not a, not obviously not like a super super screwy finish, but a subtle screwy finish. Um, yeah, this is this is cool stuff. And finally, for the night, we get Kode. Kode no, not finally for the night. I lie. There's two more matches. Sorry, sorry. This is such a big match that I thought this was the main event, and I forgot that no, this this of course it's not. There's one other huge match coming after. Sorry. So. As your second to last match, we get Cody versus Andrade El Idolo. And this, um, so just very quickly recap of the match. It's, it's as you'd expect, it's outstanding. You've got two really good workers. There's these really cool throwbacks to their, to their lineages. You've got um, Andrade doing the figure four. You've got Cody doing dusty stuff. Um, and it's it's just it's a, it's a really good match. It's not as good as um, the the Puck and um, Andrade stuff that we've seen recently, but that's to be expected. That's not Cody's style. He's not a, a you know a high flyer sort of guy that does these incredible spots. He is much more of a traditional um, Southern sort of wrestler with more of a, a mat game and more 
almost almost a bit more theatrical i suppose you could sort of call it but so the match i think is really good but of course what's what i wanted to talk about most was the result now the result is <laughs> really cool i didn't again didn't see it coming cody dives out of the ring to take out andrade and ftr jump out from under the ring and just clock him with their triple a tag belts um, and ultimately that sets up the screwy finish for Andrade who will get the win and two two parts of it I love first I, as I say I didn't see it coming I thought they did such a good job their timing was just outstanding uh, it was such a cool spot and secondly I like the way that it ties up to the ongoing sort of story that essentially Andrade you know he's supposed to only have these guys for one night but he's obviously paid them again to do his work so they're sowing seeds for some other stuff obviously with the pinnacle and MJF further down the line love that uh, the the most important thing, of course, though, is the result. I we know that Cody's in a in a weird place in terms of his story. The crowd are booing him like it's John Cena in 2010, um, and I love that they gave the result to Andrade. Not only because of the fact that I just don't think the crowd would have accepted it, but ultimately Andrade did really need this win. Um, I think it helps. I think he's starting to get pushed pretty nicely now and we're starting to see him become a more prominent player and I think that this has really helped escalate him to the next level. Now, as we just mentioned, it seems to be a, a, a running thing with Cody. He's taking talent and giving them the rub to the next level, yet somehow this guy has this reputation for burying people. I just... It's just you you find a narrative that you want to believe and you will find evidence for it everywhere, won't you? I mean, it's really astounding, I think, that when it, the push comes to shove, ultimately Cody has... Cody is one of the biggest stars in the company and he's had some important wins as one of the biggest stars in the company should have... But ultimately, he has definitely given a lot more than he has taken. And if you dispute that, I just don't know what product you're watching. I just, you wouldn't have the MJF and Darby Allen feud that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. You wouldn't have that as such a prominent thing in the card without Cody having given both of those guys the rub. And when Andrade is doing some pretty amazing stuff over the next few months and is at the top of the card, we'll probably be able to look back at Cody and say, hey, you know what? When he gave him the rub, that was actually a really, really important moment. So I think this was excellent, both in terms of match, but also in terms of result. And finally, we have the match I almost forgot about, and that's not very fair because it's not, it's not the best match of the night, but it's certainly not a forgettable forgettable match. We have Orange Cassidy versus Miro for the next round of the TNT title tournaments. And we have Brian Danielson on commentary. Um, Brian Danielson, I love. He's absolutely my man of the moment. I think he's there's no one even close to the way he's going in AEW. Not a commentator though. Not not great. He's not he's not even that great a promo, to be fair. Um 
Definitely, definitely not much of a commentator, but that's okay because it all comes into play later on. Orange Cassidy comes out with his ribs taped up, which I can't believe they they do. I think that's so stupid. I think you can just get over the ribs by selling and by having the commentators talk about it. The, the tape spot is just uh, so cobwebbed at this stage. It's so unsubtle and it's so silly because you know it doesn't do anything. You know it's going to get ripped off. And in kayfabe, you're just basically telling your opponent, hey, make sure you get me here. So, yeah, really silly. And ironically, though, Miro also has tape around his leg, um, which I, I don't know what the story was there. That was a bit of a surprise, but certainly a lot more subtle than Orange's um, half body cast that he came out in. Um, we obviously originally thought that this was going to be Moxley versus Cassidy, and I think everyone was sort of anticipating that this would be a heel Moxley turn, that he was just going to rip through Orange Cassidy, and then we'd set up this salivating prospect of Brian Danielson and Orange Cassidy. It wasn't meant to be, obviously, but Miro's a pretty, pretty good replacement, and the the story essentially keeps going the same way. I mean, Miro doesn't need to do a heel turn because he's already a heel, um, but he basically, he I mean, it's pretty one-sided. Orange Cassidy gets some good offense. I really like the, the Tornado DDT through the table he does because that really played into this idea that, uh, as, as Miro says, he's got a neck of sand. Um, so that, that was really cool. I'm really happy that he didn't get the orange punch in and that, um, that Miro was able to deflect that, and that's not how he won. And ultimately, it, you know, he... He, he pretty much destroyed him and really ripped him into the submission at the end. And that was the end of it. So this match sort of did exactly what it needed to be. Um, Cassidy was good when he needed to be, but ultimately they, they really gave the push to Miro as being this monster, this pissed off monster that he kind of needs to... I think if anything, he should be even more menacing after losing that title to Sammy Guevara. And I think this was a pretty good pretty good start and of course that ties us up for next week for a match between Brian Danielson and Miro which as I, I'm sure we are all desperate to see because I can't even imagine how stiff this one's going to be um, I think this is just going to be an outstanding match this might be your match of the night on the card um, nice little touch from Danielson coming down to the ring to do the respect spot to, you know, shake his hand before the match and Miro turns it away. Of course, of course he does. So we've got that nice little bit of storytelling, um, between, you know, the, the, the ultimate baby face, I suppose, versus the sort of just monster, monster heel. Um, so they've managed to do a very good job here. I think of just slotting Miro and to take John Moxie's place and basically still tell the same story. Um, it will tell one of the same stories. Obviously, this doesn't affect Moxley's... I mean, sorry, obviously, this doesn't make Moxley a heel, and he's going to be a real babyface when he does come back to the ring just by virtue of people's empathy um, and support for him. But, you know, whatever. The best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. So, yeah, that's that's the end of the card. I've, you know, running it back, I sort of my initial instinct, as I said at the top of the show, was that I, th- I thought this was a bit of a sloppy... Um, bit of an all-over-the-place show, but actually, now that I've recapped it to you, I'm kind of like, this was pretty good. Um, the only the only thing that I... Re- I think I think it's just that I hate the Inner Circle stuff so much that it really put such a damper on it for me that I, I actually sort of 
had this in my mind as being a worse show than it was. Um, but actually, in hindsight, most of this I, I really enjoyed, thought worked really well and built very well for the for the pay-per-view um, coming up this weekend. So, yeah, good stuff, actually. Um, very, very surprised by my own, um, my, my changing of my opinion over the course of the show. So we'll move on to Rampage now. We'll just take a break quickly and we'll come back and listen to listen to my rambling and my thoughts about the Friday show. So we're back and it's time to talk about Dynamite, which I think was the better of the two shows and may have been the best Dynamite, uh, sorry, the best Rampage we've seen all year, um, perhaps excluding the, the one where CM Punk returned, but that kind of is almost exclusive in its own in its own way because it was such a unique episode. This This was just, if every hour of wrestling on television could be this good, uh, oh, boy oh boy would would wrestling be hot again I think the, the the card starts with Brian Danielson versus Anthony Bowens kind of a funny story leading into this of course Bowens and Caster as the acclaimed have been doing you know the, the gimmick is doing the the freestyle raps to the ring and they've been giving Tony Khan a lot of crap and talking about him being a bad boss so and, you know challenging him and Tony Khan says, "Right, you you know you think I'm a bad boss? I'll, I'll give I'll have a proxy wrestle for me, and that proxy is going to be Brian Danielson. So we're veering awfully close here into authority figure stuff, um, veering a bit closer than I would like, but ultimately um, done in a done in an okay way. Like just it's very borderline. I think I I, I hope we don't see more of it. Um, I think one of Tony Khan's great strengths has been his ability to hold back on that." And, you know, Cody's been very open about the fact that they think it's intelligence insulting and everyone knows who's running the show. They don't need to sort of turn it into an angle. So, you know, I think they did it subtly enough that it was it was fun. It's been going on sort of off television for a while. Like it's kind of been an Internet thing. It hasn't sucked up programming time and ultimately hope, you know, this should be kind of the end of it i assume i'd be very surprised if we keep going and, and the punchline was pretty funny that anthony bowens who's a pretty fantastic talent himself um had to take on you know the best wrestler in in the company and you know the stiffest as well um so kind of a nice punchline and and the match was the match was good look um the high point was probably to be honest uh, max's rap on the way down the line about um making people putting people into poverty quicker than Brian Danielson's father-in-law of course being John Laurinaitis I'm sure if you didn't get that joke you've had it explained to you a thousand times by now um so that was <laughs> it was it was good that they were doing a live show since he got to get that crack in because that was that was scorching um the match itself was uh very good like it, it pretty what do you expect i suppose when you've got brian danielson in there you expect pretty much that he could pull a good match of it out of anyone and bowens is a good wrestler 
<clears throat> excuse me, Bowens is a it's a good wrestler. Um, he's he's definitely a big guy. He's um, he's I think he's got a big future. But I, I think they're both got a big future, actually, Caster and Bowens. I, I, don't, I would like to see them stay as a tag team for quite a while. I think they've got wonderful chemistry, um, and I think they are wonderful workers, and um, they just need basically more time over the next couple of years to sort of build their way up through through the card. And I think it's pretty cool for Bowens that he got the opportunity to to go against Danielson sort of this early in his career on such a great platform. Um, Exactly what you'd expect. Um, Danielson wins the match um, with a pretty brutal submission and um, there's some scurry stuff on the outside, but ultimately it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I can't even really recall many of the spots to be honest. Um, just suffice to say, it was it was a really really good match and a pretty hot opening to the show. If you you open any show with Brian Danielson, you've you've got me hooked straight away, and the crowd were into it. Um, I'm sure everyone at home was too. Yeah, it was cool stuff. the The next segment, of course, and this is why it's kind of hard to remember what happens in that match, is because the next segment is the thing that sort of steals the show. Um, Again, you've probably heard so much about this by now. You've probably watched it multiple times or you've seen it at least once. You've heard all the analysis. You've heard everyone talking about it. So I don't really know what else I can add. I'm still going to, though. Um, this is the CM Punk and Eddie Kingston having a having a chat, I suppose, in the ring. And it starts with CM Punk calling out Eddie Kingston. Little details here I, I really like. Um he calls it Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston's music starts, which, by the way, what a great song that is. Mikey Ruckus again, just working his magic. Eddie Kingston's entrance music is fantastic. Doesn't doesn't come. Um, so CM Punk sort of starts berating, and then we get Eddie come down without his music. You know, without the pyro. That's I love that. I love that small, tiny little psychological detail. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to come because you beckon me. You can you can wait. You know, like I will come on my own terms. Uh, I think that's, they basically, that, that's sort of uh, emblematic of a lot of the little detail in this whole package. And it's, it's such a, Eddie Kingston, what can you say about this guy? Really? Like CM Punk is known as being one of the best talkers in the history of the business. And honestly, I think he is, but also honestly, I think Eddie Kingston make, made him look almost average that's too harsh that's too harsh but Eddie Kingston has such authentic natural delivery and such authentic natural fire he should be an actor like this man should have an agent and should be acting in film or television he's absolutely spectacular and so it starts with him sort of saying hey I wasn't here you know don't don't be a bitch I wasn't here because of you know I was scared I might have had coronavirus and might have given it off, um, you know, I don't, you know, you've missed out on this, you know, here's the world's smallest violin. And then this is this is sort of the interesting dynamic because you've got two baby faces, of course, and essentially CM Punk heel turns on him um, by, you know, calling him a bum and saying that, you know, we held you to a higher standard and you couldn't deliver it. And, of course, that makes Kingston see red um, where he sort of starts talking about him being basically a prima donna that nobody wants in the 
in the locker room backstage, but no one has the guts to say it. And it's just hot. It's just exactly what wrestling promos need to be. And if you wanted an advertisement to show you how good the product can be and how intense something that is choreographed can be, I mean, this is it. This is just so good. And it's so... I don't want to pick on this performer because this is not her fault and I don't really know anything about it. Uh, sorry, about her. She seems cool, I, as I say, but they, at the same time, well, you know, at a couple of hours before, Smack, she was on SmackDown, Shotzi Blackheart. Sorry, I'm really m- mangling my words here. But a, a video went sort of semi-viral after, after this of her doing a promo on SmackDown. And... It was horrendous. It was one of the worst things I've seen. And again, it's not her fault. She's been given this just clunky, nightmarish thing when nobody delivered in the way that nobody talks, and she's having to enunciate it like she's getting elocution lessons in Elizabethan uh, or Victorian England, and it's just so fake. And not even in a good meta. You can't even make the argument that it's like it's like there's some sort of self-reflexivity to it, or there's a meta textual analysis to it. It's just bad. And again, that's not. I, I feel really sorry for her because I don't. I don't want to pick on her because she seems cool, um, and I'm sure she's a really good performer, and I'm sure she could do a lot better if she wasn't fed this absolute garbage by WWE. And it just you couldn't. It was so unfortunate for her having this contrast that people were like, hey, look what they're doing on the other channel. Can you believe that you've got this and this? And can you see the difference between scripting and directing and letting professionals, experienced professionals, sort this out themselves? Um, It was magic stuff. Ending with a headbutt. Awesome. This match will be... Yeah, the... So much criticism again leveled at it, like, oh, you've you you've you've given this two weeks and it's based off a interruption in an interview. It's like, yeah, don't maybe don't underestimate these guys. Maybe maybe don't just assume you know exactly what's gonna happen here and that you can tell the story. Because in the space of one promo, they've managed to unpack it and turn this into a fifteen year feud. Um absolute masterclass. One of the best things I've seen ever in wrestling frankly like I know that might sound like I'm getting carried away I I don't think it is I've been watching wrestling a long time and this was one of the best promos I've ever seen and you know as good as Punk was ultimately I think it's more Eddie Kingston um and he is he would be like well Danielson's my favorite wrestler at the moment like I think he's been the real MVP in, in terms of the in ring I don't think anyone comes even close to Kingston in terms of the 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 extra stuff the the story building and the promoing and stuff he's just he's in a league of his own so yeah this is really cool elevates the show to a whole new level elevates the feud to a whole new level elevates the pay-per-view to a whole new level outstanding next up we have the bunny versus red velvet and feel a little bit sorry for them that they have to follow this but we do you know we have a commercial break everyone gets a chance to breathe um, and I think they do a really good thing with this, similar to what we had the night before. We get a bit of a, a shock ending. Um, the bunny has been 
pushed quite a bit recently, much like Anna Jay was. Um, and, you know, she's certainly become a bit of a folk hero for being in a segment that beat Roman Reigns head to head. Um, so it seemed natural that she would go over, particularly over Red Velvet, who is much less experienced um, and still sort of finding her feet, I suppose. But, you know, this match started hot. I mentioned it not long ago. Red Velvet, it's it's... She wants this, and so she comes out swinging. She, there's no waiting around. She comes in fired up, gets in this really hot offense on the start, just instantly brings the match up to a, to a more intense level. Some cool spots outside the ring as it inevitably spills out, including um, the bunny sort of kicking her into the stairs. It, it wasn't as, as well delivered as we would have hoped, mainly just because of the camera angle, but whatever. You know, that's, you being, I'm being a picky dick here it doesn't it doesn't really matter the the actual the actual spot was pretty cool um they pull it back into the ring and uh in the end red velvet gets the win which was uh a shock i have to admit i really thought the bunny would be going over here again but it, it's it's exactly the same as what we saw the other night is you know we've got the the performer that we didn't think was going to go over going over and it's set up it, it, so that's a nice bounce. I mean, the difference is, I suppose, is that Jamie Hayter is more experienced. And in this case, this is an underdog um, victory. But you've also now set up the heel face dynamic for the next round of the tournament, which makes it a, a bit more of an interesting match. And it's not like Jade Cargill and Red Velvet don't have history. Of course they do. It goes back right back to Jade Cargill replacing Brandy Rhodes in that match against Shaq and Jade Cargill how long ago was that? You know, so this is this is this is long term storytelling in many ways. I don't necessarily think that it, it, you know that when they did that match, they had you know a, a vision that there would be this um, TBS title and that in the second round these two would fight each other. But the thought has gone in, and I love that the thought has gone in to be like, okay, cool, we can marry these two up. They've got history. That'll bring the intensity up. It's adding to that story that we can have a rivalry between these two going on for years. I mean, ultimately, you have to assume Jade's going to go over. I can't see it going any way. But I think you would have known that regardless of who she was fighting. I think that this adds a much more emotional um, element to it. And it builds into a longer story where one day Red Velvet will go over Jade and that'll be quite a special moment. So yeah, loved this. Loved it. Absolutely thought. Really surprised by the result. Shouldn't have been, now that I'm recapping it to you. Seems really silly. I didn't put as much thought into it as they did. Loved it. And finally, we get to Budge versus John Silver. And this is probably my favourite match of the week. I love John Silver as a worker. I think... There's, it's such a it's such a complicated thing wrestling in some regards and it? it's so simple but then it's so complicated in other in other ways John Silver is a amazing worker he's a pocket rocket he can just do the most incredible things the speed and cardio intensity that he has is almost unparalleled within the company but he, he's not he he had no real presence when he joined and he got over as through BTE and being really funny and having a lot of comic timing and being a bit of a goof. And that's really cool because it's given him this cult standing. It's given him way more prominence than he ever would have had in a million years if they just sort of tried to build him into something more nondescript. The problem is, of course, though, is that there's no way that John Silver 
is going over in this match against sort of the hottest, um, the hottest recruit in the camp. Well, one of the hottest recruits in company history. Um, and that's a real shame, I think, because Silver, Silver carried this match. I think like he really did. Silver was, this was, this was a brutal match. Some of the strikes, both these guys were laying into each other were incredible. But also, you know, I think Silver probably had 65% of the offense. And that's, you know, that's good storytelling. That's, you know, Adam Cole giving him a lot. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, this isn't a shoot. They had to have planned it this way. But he is a very convincing, convincing wrestler. And I would love to see him be able to do more. Um, I, I, I think he's one of the funniest people on the show. And even the, the, the pre-match interview was hilarious and he's really good in that spot, but I'd like them to be able to do more, I suppose with him because his in-rig work is that good. And I think it's always a surprise because he does come off as such a clown. It's one of those sort of secret things that they have. It's like, Oh yeah, this guy's just here for a laugh. He just does weights. Ha ha ha. Oh my God. He's really fast. You know, like, Holy crap. Did you see that string of things he put together? That, suplex followed by that running around decking people um yeah i thought this was just this was 10 15 minutes however long it was of just high intensity fast spots and stiff strikes that really um you know built to a built to a nice crescendo the the result was obvious we knew who was going to win all along and it still didn't necessarily detract from the match. But it is just further proof, I think, that John Silver is very underappreciated. And, well, not underappreciated, but I hope we see him move from his role as just comedy babyface who loses matches but has good matches. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really hope we see him actually take it up a notch. I don't know how the hell you make that segue. Um but he's definitely better than anyone else. Well, he's not better than Stu Grayson. That's not fair. Stu Grayson is another outstanding talent. Those two dudes I would like to see sort of take it to the next level. Unfortunately, Stu Grayson doesn't quite have the charisma of John Silver. But um, yeah, it's 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 sort of a real... I love the Dark Order. I've really enjoyed what they've done. I just feel like it's a bit of a shame that you can have a match like this and you know you're going to lose and you know you're probably not going to get any other real high profile opportunities like this in the near future to main event when you probably can carry the match. Um, so I've, I've made this sound really bittersweet and um, a bit of a downer. I don't mean to. Um, it's just, I'm, I'm just showing my admiration for Silver as a performer. I don't think he necessarily gets the credit he deserves because I think this match really proved what an outstanding talent it is. He is, sorry, not it is. Um, so yeah, Rampage. Our, the best hour of wrestling on television, just so quick, so tight, so perfectly balanced, and just an outstanding card from top to bottom. Um, absolutely loved it. Cannot wait to see what we get this week in the lead-up to Full Gear. I think all the shows are live again, so it should be a pretty outstanding week if this is anything to go off. And I'll be online tweeting away like mad I'm sure um, there will be you know plenty of opportunities to to chat if you're 
if you're interested. And if you just want to enjoy the show without double screening it, you're probably a much, much smarter person than I am. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, I'm so excited for this week. This is um, All Out, I suppose, has upped the ante in terms of pay-per-views, hasn't it? There were always pay-per-views that I was excited for, but they've really upped the ante again. Um, and I think that we are all pretty pretty um pretty pumped for this one (laughs) so yeah we'll be back next week to talk about hopefully some very cool news from the shows this week but mostly from full gear as well so i'm going to leave you with that thank you for indulging me on a very long-winded episode when after the last one i said i'd be trying to cut them down um really appreciate if you were able to endure me talking about some pretty serious issues I think in sort of my own experiences um, so yeah we'll see each other later and uh, hide it off for now <laughs>